Hey, hey, and welcome to episode number 76 of the Brave Widow Show. Today, I talk with Jess Jones. No, I don't think there's any relation there. (laughs) But yeah, I talk with Jess, and she is going to share her story on the show today. And before we dive into her story, I just want to put a little something in your ear, give you a little something to think about. We've just had Christmas and maybe in fact, you are busy with so many plans or doing something different that you're listening to this at a much later time. Either way, it's still relevant. But at the time of this podcast, we've just had Christmas. We are maneuvering through all of the holidays. And for some of us, that's really, really a hard, difficult time. And for others, it may be bittersweet. And for others, it may be full of love and gratitude and a wonderful time with family and friends. None of those is wrong. But what I want you to think about as we move into 2024, as we move into the future of this new year and what that means and what that could mean for you is I really want 2024 to be your year, to be the year that you are able to move forward, to be the year that you're able to get your feet underneath you, to be the year that you start creating dreams again. You start building a life again, a life that you can be happy to have, a life full of joy and positivity and hope and things that excite you again. And as I share those things with you, I have to just sit back and think for a minute because it's amazing to me sometimes still that less than a year ago, I still was trying to find myself in this new world. I still was wondering, is it possible to live a life where Every good experience and and good memory and good milestone isn't ruined by sadness, isn't ruined by the fact that there's a bitter voice in my ear saying, well, yeah, that's good. That's good for you. That happened. But your Nathan isn't here. Your person isn't here. It doesn't matter. I believe that it was possible. I had no idea how. I didn't know how I was going to get from there to hear where I am today, but I can proudly sit in front of you on this microphone and tell you that now I do live a life full of joy and hope and excitement. And yes, there are still moments where I do miss my person. I do miss being able to talk to Nathan for him to not be able to see his kiddos as they're growing up and driving and doing all those things that teenagers do as they hit different milestones. Of course, there are occasionally those moments, but grief no longer has uncontrollable power over me. I'm not volatile like I was in those early days. And there's so much joy and gratitude and hope and excitement and It's just incredible to me that 
I can look back and vividly remember exactly how I felt a year ago versus how I can sit here in front of you today and give you hope that even if you're wondering what could be possible, how that would be possible for you in your future to reassure you that it is, it is possible to build a life of hope and joy and dreams and excitement and plans and a life where you're doing things you really never had even dreamed of because maybe for whatever reason is something that you and your person wouldn't have wanted to do together. Maybe they wouldn't have wanted to do. You didn't even know that you were interested in so much about widowhood is finding our new identity, creating the person that we want to become figuring out who this new version of us is. And that can be so confusing. Like, In many ways, I know the core of who I am is the same, but in a lot of ways, I have changed so much. I've changed so much in these two and a half years, and it's just incredible to think how much this changes every widow that I've spoken to. And so before we dive into Jess's story, which I believe you're going to thoroughly enjoy, I just want you to start thinking about this new year and not being intimidated by it, not dreading it as another year gone by without your person, but with the perspective of hope that it's a new year, there's hope for you. It could be a new chapter in your story. It could be new opportunities, new dreams, new hobbies, new habits. It could be mean so many things for you. And it can really be exciting if you allow it to be that. So I would love for you to join me in the Brave Widow membership community as I walk side by side with so many amazing, brave, generous widows as we purposefully move forward this year towards rediscovery, towards hope and purpose and intention. And I can't wait to get back behind this microphone a year later and to be able to share with you all of the things that we've accomplished and how it has impacted so many people's lives. And I want you to be one of the people that I'm able to speak about. So please consider joining us in the Brave Widow membership community and take this journey with us this year. I am so confident that you are going to be able to accomplish more than you ever even knew was possible just by taking these steps forward. You don't have to walk this journey alone. This doesn't have to be an isolating experience. You can walk side by side with other widows who care about you, who will pour into you, who will be there for you. It's truly an amazing community and experience. So you can join the Brave Widow membership community by going to bravewidow.com slash join, J-O-I-N, and I would love to see you there. All right, let's dive in to Jess's story. Welcome to the Brave Widow Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Jones. 
We help young widows heal their heart, find hope, and dream again for the future. Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of the Brave Widow Show. Today, I have a special guest, Jess Jones. And even though we made sure the last name, we did not plan on wearing the same color of shirt. But if you're watching on video, you'll notice we both decided to wear green today. But Jess, thank you for coming on the show today and welcome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I know our audience would love to know a little bit about you, about your story and your background. So if you don't mind, I would love for you to share that with them. Sure. My name is Jess Jones. I am an executive assistant. I live in Virginia and I was married to my husband for 17 years before he was um, killed in a car accident. Um, I have, we have two wonderful children. My son is 11 and my daughter is 14. And, um, and now we have a dog. <laughs> um, but uh, we're just making, making it work as we can. Yeah. And 17 years, my goodness. I know I was married, um, right. One month before 20 years and that's a lifetime, especially, you know, I just turned 40. So that was like over half of my life at the time. Yeah. Was being, we were, we were best friends for like nine years before we actually started dating. So we feels like it's been even longer than, you know, it's, it's been forever. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. And you kind of grow up together. And um, I think you really struggle then in finding identity after, but tell us um, a little bit about your, you know, relationship with your spouse, or maybe uh, a little bit more about what happened either during or after the time that you lost him. Sure. Eric and I were best friends for a long, long time. And we eventually gave in and started dating and um, had a really great marriage. We, because I think because we based it on our friendship, it was, you know, I mean, obviously we were in love with each other, but we had such a, he was my everything. He was my best friend and my spouse and my, um, and the father of my children, which is, and he was really good at that. So um, there's definitely a big hole missing in that, um, part of my life, obviously in November of 2021, he had, we had just actually recovered from COVID really bad COVID. It was took us out for a long time. And, um, it was his first day out of the house and he decided to go to a thrift store, which he loved to do. (laughs) And, um, so he, he called me on the phone to say that he was just getting ready to take the exit to our house and that he would be there in 20 minutes because I was taking the kids to, uh, a trampoline park. And I needed my car. He had my car. Um, and I didn't really want to take his work truck, but I did tell the kids if dad's not back in, you know, five, like 45 minutes, we'll just empty out all his tools and we'll just take the work truck. I was, you know, powerful mom then. And so, um, he didn't call. I tried to call him several times to find out like status. Where are you? Cause it just kept taking longer and longer for him to get home. And he wasn't answering the phone. Um, I started feeling a little sick. And then I got the, I did, I loaded the kids up in the truck cause I didn't want them to be concerned. And I just, um, we all went to the trampoline park. We get to the trampoline park and the manager looks at me and says, ma'am, are you okay? You don't look like you're feeling very well. Do you want a bottle of water? And I said, no, sorry. I just, I really want to get out of here. Um, cause I still couldn't get a hold of Eric. Three minutes later after my, um, after the manager came up to me, the neighbor across the street called and said the state police were at my house. And, um, she said, uh, they just need you to come home right now. 
And I said, okay. So I packed up the kids and we pulled in the driveway and sure enough, there were two or three state police cars in my driveway. And, um, I get out of the car. I tell the kids to go directly into the house, but I got out of the car and they informed me that Derek didn't, that he died in a car accident. He died. He was, it was a single car, car accident. We had a, uh, he blew a donut tire. I can't think of what it's called right now. Like a spare tire. A spare tire. Yeah. There was a spare tire on the front, right? And it, he was taking a turn and it, it all lost control. So it was a really bad night. It was a really long night because my kids were in the window of the front of the house, staring at me, wondering what is, why the police are talking to mom. And my daughter was really concerned because she had also tried to call my husband and he never ignored her calls and he didn't answer. So I think she kind of knew. Um, but I eventually came in the house and sat with them and, um, I don't know how I kept it together. I was going to say, how did you find the strength to, you know, try to absorb the gravity of the information they gave you and then turn around and have to walk inside where you knew your kids were waiting? My first initial reaction to them telling me that, that Eric had passed away in the car accident was, was pure rage. It was, I don't know where it came from and I don't know. It was, I was mad at Eric for being in the car with a donut. I was mad at him for making a turn when he shouldn't have, or maybe too fast. I was angry at the police for bringing me news that I didn't want to hear. They had offered to go in and sit with my kids. And I said some things I probably shouldn't have and told them no. Um, I did have two neighbor friends here. One was a police officer and one is my girlfriend's husband. And they were here to help me kind of in case something, in case I lost it. But I, I have this thing inside me that Um, When there's an emergency, whether it be, you know, a kid fell and broke his arm or whatever it is, I just have this calm inside me that it's like a, uh, an adrenaline response. I don't know what it is, but so I, I did call my best friend who happens to be a widow also, and she was on her way over. And so I wanted to tell the kids before everybody descended on the house and I just kind of pulled up my boots and did it. It was not fun. And they were devastated. It was awful. And then we all kind of balled together. I, f- I feel like that, I think that was the first moment that I let tears fall. And how, how old were your kids at the time? Nine and nine and 12. Yeah. And my son and my husband were together. I mean, they were, I mean, not, not to say that he didn't love my daughter the same way, but he just, he and my son were very close. So he took it really terribly. It was awful. And my daughter was a mess and it was just, it, you know, the kids, I feel like I've been able to survive this because of my kids, because I have to be um, strong for my kids. Yeah. So what were those next few, you know, weeks, what did that look like for, you know, the three of you? Well, part of it is like, you know, I feel like I was in this haze of this things that were happening around me. Funeral was being planned, which I did plan, but I had a lot of help. Um, my brother-in-law's a pastor and he was really helpful in that regard, just leading, leading the direction in that, but I had my inputs and then my sister flew here from Michigan and, um, I, it was just a, it was, but it was a blur of, um, people in my house. And, um, I did take short-term disability from work, uh, for quite a while, I think two months because I just was not in my right mind. I couldn't, I couldn't function in an office setting or talk to people about work things. So one of the things that those next couple of days I did was work with HR, which everybody who's lost someone knows the administrative part of, of a death is huge. You know, the 
getting the death certificates and canceling the subscriptions and, but talking to HR and getting all of that settled and it was awful. But um, I wish I could say, I remember a lot more of it. I just know it was a blur. I, the day of the funeral was uh, I think it was seven days later. And I, um, I just didn't want to get dressed. I didn't, I mean, I didn't want to, I just was, I, I remember saying to myself, do you think anybody would care if I went in my pajamas and didn't brush my hair? Like, would they really have the nerve to say something to me? I don't think they would, but my mom was a little bit more encouraging and just was like, you know, you can do it and get dressed. And so I did and I made it, but I don't, I can't tell you who was at the funeral. Right. Yeah. It's such, it's so interesting how our brains work where it really puts us in this fog or like this haze and it takes so much energy just to do any one little thing that we're just trying to survive, much less have a lot of memories or be much people, more. Yeah. Entertain people. Like I felt like that the funeral was, it was beautiful. And we did, my kids, my did, my kids helped the planning too. And they, they put in some personal um, parts of the funeral. My sister, I mean, my daughter wrote an, a poem and my, uh, my son picked the music for the slideshow and um, it was, it was moving. It was really, really moving. And they were good. They, their request was that they had their best friends sit with them at the funeral and that, um, well, my, that was my daughter's request. And she did, she had two of her closest friends with her and we had a really great support system of the neighborhood. I, I am so blessed in where I live. My fam, my friends here are, are, they're so great. They did a food train, you know, the whole bit. Um, but those, it once the once it settled down, once the funeral was over and everybody kind of went back to their homes and um, you know, a few weeks later, I could I could definitely see that we were gonna have to do some um create a new normal for our the three of us. Yeah. Um, and that was gonna be a little tough because I was struggling a little bit mentally. And then um I didn't really know. I was so busy doing all the administrative stuff that it's kind of hard to focus on the kids, which is sad to say, but it is, there's just so much to get done. Um, but we did do it in, um, in March of that year. So I went back to work January 18th and then February 1st, my, um, my employer had announced that they were laying off a, a large ton of people, um, which was a little devastating at first, but then they'd offered this wonderful severance package. And so I, um, I consider this a blessing, but, um, I took the severance package and I took the thing and I, I was off work for six months. And during those six months, the kids and I literally created our new normal. We went on vacations together. We did therapy. We did, um, I had the house repainted. I mean, I just, we just all kind of pitched in to sort of figure out where we fit in the picture. Um, the summer was, was great considering um, we did lots of one on lots of trips together. I did some with one kid and some with another kid and some with us all together. And we made great memories. And I'm just so thankful that I was able to have that, that time because not everybody gets that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, that is to your point, such a great blessing. And I think it's important that you started to make new memories and started to go places together because I think that does help when you're making those new memories and not necessarily trying to live the same life that you've always had, which right. is hard. It is um, hard. 
So you lost your husband in November and school is in full swing and you have holidays right after that. And oh yeah, that was um, tough. How how was how were things with your kids going back to school and getting back into that routine? I made the mistake of making them go back to school too quickly initially. Um I let them have obviously they were off for the funeral and they were off between the day that he died and the funeral. Um and then I think I let them have a couple more days, but I, I said, then I, then I was like, okay, we gotta, we really got to get back in the saddle and we got to go back to school and, you know, I gotta, we got to do stuff. And, um, it didn't, it didn't go well. My son was an emotional wreck at school. He was in fourth grade at the time. And, um, the teacher would report that he would just lay his head down on the desk and just stare out at the window at whatever nothingness. Um, my daughter was having panic attacks in the bathroom and, texting and calling me on my phone to come pick her up and she wouldn't she would was refusing to go to school um but I decided then it would be best to pull them out for another at least week of which I did um because it was it was too raw um the school the elementary school was wonderful they um they the principal who I who I really love she came to me and said we have we put together a team between the psychologist, the social, you know, the social worker, the, his school counselor that he really loved. Um, and we are here to support Russell, no matter whatever the ups and downs are. Um, and they were, they were amazing. Uh, they were very informative to me throughout the day to let me know what his mood was like. And, um, so I was able to go and get him if I needed to, or encourage him if I needed to, and everybody. And the other thing is Russell, my son had a stipulation that, um, he didn't want anybody to talk to him about it, the dad, the death, the, any of it. So the principal somehow got that word around the school. So there no, none of the faculty members or the, even the students really said anything to him about it. It was, you know, Russell really appreciated that. Um, my daughter, she, uh, just had a really rough year. She refused to go to therapy and, um, I couldn't, I, well, that's not true. I, the school counselors at the middle school level are a little different than they are at the elementary school level. They do scheduling, at least here, they do scheduling and they can do some talking if you're, if you're uncomfortable. But, um, when they brought her in for the first time, they were a little too, so I heard your dad died. If you have anything you want to talk about, come, come chat with me. And she was a little put off. I, I think she was just angry. I, I, you know, everybody gets that goes through that phase. And, um, so she was very turned off by the thought of therapy because I did bring her to a grief therapist and the grief therapist kind of did the same thing. She just hammered right in with the dad stuff right in the beginning. And I was in the room and I thought, Oh, this isn't going to go well. So, um, unfortunately Carly was a little bit more difficult to kind of help in that regard. Um, my son went to therapy, grief therapy. We started kind of right away. And he loved it. And he loved the therapist and he went from November or December to May. And then when May hit the weather was nice, he wanted to ride his bike with his friends. And the therapist said, Hey man, that vitamin D is going to be better for him than I am. And as long as he's doing good in school and he's not having these bouts of like, you know, anger or crying, then he's let him ride his bike. So, but my daughter stayed in that bubble of anxiety and depression. Um, we tried to take her to a physical in during the year and she cried through the whole thing and wouldn't let them touch her. Um, I, she just, she just broke down 
And the, the doctor, the pediatrician at the time said, I think it'd be best for her if she went on a little bit of medication. So we started that, her. That on had that. to be really hard as a mom, just watching your kids struggle and, and getting notified from the school or from physicians that, you know, they're really having a difficult time. Um, did that interfere with your own grief and your, your ability to feel like you could focus on you and what you wanted to process when you're also worrying about them? Yeah, because I don't, you know, I have these days where something will come up and I'll just start crying out of the blue. Um, so I, I feel like in some ways I do process the grief, but, but other times I'm so concerned about my kids, especially when during the heat of all that, um, or even now with grades or just being a single parent is a totally different thing that I, I forget to grieve myself or to take time for myself. I have intentionally done things like on our anniversary, I will, I, I rent a tiny house. I've done it twice. Now I rent a tiny house and I go on like a guided hike. Um, and I'm gone for two days and it, it's just me, you know, it's my Zen time to be with Eric in spirit. Um, and I've seen signs, you know, I, I, it's been a lovely adventure on those two, two anniversaries, but, um, it is hard to focus on me when I have the kids all the time. I have, um, lovely in my in-laws are just amazing and they live close by and my mom and dad are just awesome and they don't live too, too far. And so when I need a break, they will take the kids for the weekend or days or however long I need them to. Um, but it is, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know that I've ever really just lost it. I feel like it's going to come though. Yeah. Yeah. It, it probably will. And, uh, to your point, I don't think that means that you're not processing or you're not moving forward because you obviously are, but right. I think sometimes it is hard to feel like you can just be, and you can just focus on you and not have to worry about, you know, them or their schedule or, Oh, I got to dry my eyes before three, you know, um, yep. and all In that. The beginning, so. In the beginning, I would, was my body was waking up every morning at five o'clock and I would cry from five to seven on the couch in the living room. Cause my son was sleeping in my husband's side of the bed and, um, I just had to get it out and I don't know what it was. It was just my body's way of releasing. I think all of the, the, the things that had been going on. So that felt really good. And then eventually once we started, um, the therapy side of things, I didn't, um, I didn't feel that need so much anymore. I did see a therapist too, for a little while. Um, and I just wasn't too, too long. It was a couple of months. I felt like she was pretty much coaching me on how to get, how to be a single parent. And I don't know that I was necessarily ready for that. So I just kind of said, um, so I encourage the therapy though. I think that it's, it, it works for everybody. I mean, it can't, it doesn't necessarily work for everybody. Not everybody's comfortable doing it, but it's definitely, Oh my gosh. It's definitely, um, was a healthier thing. And I, I got a recommendation on a therapist from neighbors. Um, that's the hardest part I think about therapy is finding the right fit for you. It is. And I always recommend to people where they can to find somebody that has walked in their shoes or somebody right. that really understands, you know, if you're going for grief, then try to find someone who really personally understands what it's like to lose someone they love. And even if it's not a spouse or a parent, um, depending on your situation, to me, it's always easier to explain things and to get mutual understanding from someone who in some way can understand the gravity of what you're walking through or, you know, what you're trying to process. But 
um, you know, therapy and coaches, it sometimes takes a while to find someone that you really connect with and um, that can help you. But I, I do think for anyone who wants to work on their healing, that that's definitely a good option to consider. Yeah. My daughter didn't, so she did not agree to do therapy for a really long time until her next year of school. She, she just didn't go to school. I mean, she was there for maybe three days a week, but she was calling out two days a week. She was using every excuse under the book. It was, it was anxiety and depression and it was a hot mess. So the, my daughter's seventh grade year, um, she just didn't attend. It was, she graduated the year, um, by the, you know, geez, just barely. And I was stressed about it constantly. And I kept impressing on her, you know, you, this isn't, this isn't the way we, that we're going to do stuff. You've got to take action and, you know, take the medicine the doctor suggested for you and, and really you need to see a therapist, but you need to decide on what you need to do to get yourself feeling like Carly again. Um, and that whole year she just refused. Um, this year I, she started high school, sorry, this year she started high school and she like, I think a maturity level just kind of came in and she also wanted to do some things. And I said, if, if, you know, I'm working for our family to make sure that we are successful people and we're happy and healthy, I need you to put in your part. Um, and in order to do some things like have privileges, like horseback riding, I need you to participate in therapy and take medication so that you are, so that you graduate high school. I mean, really it, it was what the bottom line was, but, um, I said it a little bit more warm and fuzzy than that, but, um, she was really resistant at first, but she's, she's been on it, uh, like on doing therapy once a week and, um, taking her medication and she, it has turned her life around. She's just a whole new, I mean, she's, she's got all A's and B's, which is, I'm like, Oh my gosh. Um, her teachers love her. She participates in class. She's a very shy kid to begin with. So that doesn't help all of it, but she's, but the teachers, I went to back to school night and they said she was doing fabulously and she was participating in class, reading out loud when asked to and doing all the things. So, and she goes every day and she gets up on her own and she makes her own lunch. Hey, even crazy. better. <laughs> it's just, it's such a turnaround and I, I'm so happy. I'm so, so happy about that. It's a big you know, big relief. I want her to be successful, um, in whatever she decides to do, but I, you know, I need to give her the tools to succeed. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's hard too to know as a parent, like how much do you push, how much do you expect, you know, where you're, you don't want them to not be resilient and to be pushed, but you don't want to push them too far. Right. So it sounds like you found a really good balance there. And, uh, I, certainly resonate with your story. And my daughter also had a lot of panic attacks, anxiety attacks, was calling me to pick her up, you mm -hmm. know, frequently there for a while. And, um, it breaks your heart as a mom, you know, hearing, hearing that and empathizing with your child. Um, now one thing I know we talked about before we hit record was the 504 process right? and how you can get accommodations for your child at school. Do you mind to share a little bit about that? Sure. So because seventh grade went or an eighth, sorry, eighth grade went so squirrely, I was wanted to come into her freshman year of high school prepared for, for her to be that way again, basically not going to school and not, and calling out during the day and everything. So I um, had talked to my best friend and she had a 504 for her son or had gone through the process and explained it a little bit to me. And so I approached the counseling center 
first I told the counselors about uh, our scenario. I, I, at the very beginning of the year, I, the first day of school, I just said, this is the situation. And I want to make sure that I have, you know, your support. Um, and they were, they were, they were great about it. Um, and then I instantly said, you know, I, my next email said, I would really like to discuss a 504 for Carly. Um, 504 gives them, um, some accommodations and can make things situations when they're having panic attacks or, um, however, whatever the, whatever your child is going through, um, a little bit more tolerable in school. So for example, Carly has a fast pass. Um, some of her teachers don't allow bathroom usage during the day, like during a period, or you can go three times a week, but you can't go every day. I don't know. They have some really straight, strange rules. <laughs> Um, one of the teachers has the rule that you have, you can, you have five minutes to go to the bathroom. And if you're one second late, you don't, you lose your bathroom privileges for seven straight days. So that had Carly really uncomfortable, that one teacher with that one rule. Um, so I talked to the counseling center and I just, and I brought it up in the 504 meeting, which in case anybody wants to know when you have a 504 meeting, it involves, um, a couple of faculty members, a psychologist, a social worker, and a counselor, a principal of some level. And, uh, one or two of her teachers. So it's a committee of people that make the decision and they were really accommodating. What we agreed during our personal 504 meeting, because it was the second week of school was that they didn't have, we didn't have enough data to see how Carly was going to be this year, the ninth grade year to put her on an official 504. Um, but we would revisit it in, uh, after the first quarter. Um, but what they did do for her was to give her a fast pass, which is basically uh, a pass to leave class anytime that she feels the need to, to go to the bathroom, to take deep breaths, to run to the counseling center, to meet with somebody, to um, stand in the hallway and, and just kind of gather herself. So that really just having the pass has helped her have strength. It's, I don't even think she's ever used it, honestly, but I know just that knowing. she's just knowing that she has that pass because the um, the one teacher's bathroom policy made her really uncomfortable, you know, nervous. And because when you have a panic attack, man, you just can't do that in a classroom full of people. Yeah. And I don't even struggle with uh, panic attacks now, but just being told like, you can't go to the bathroom, you can't do right. this or that. It makes you want to go. <laughs> like You really uh, have to go. Plus, yeah. you know, let's be honest, not all bathroom urgencies are five minutes long and she's a young teen. And, you know, so- I just, it wasn't a very forgiving policy, but there wasn't much I could do about it. Um, in regards to her other teachers, though, I did send a message to, I think, almost all of her teachers um, through the app that we have at the county and just gave them a background about Carly and her dad and that it, that it presents itself in panic attacks or, you know, moments of needing to, to leave the classroom. And, and almost all of them were so receptive and thankful um, her gym teacher, she's actually doing health this semester, but uh, they're doing a section on anxiety and depression, which I thought was really great. Um, and her gym teacher just said that, you know, thank you so much for telling me because it really helps when we talk about those things to kind of, you know, not tailor it to Carly, but keep her in mind when we're having those conversations. And he has them do yoga every day. And she, all oh, she says she hates it, but it's really been good for her. <laughs> Typical 14 year old response, right? Um, so I'm really thrilled with the way the high schools handled her this year. Um, we've had a couple of other incidents that weren't major incidents, but like she missed the deadline for homecoming tickets because she was waiting for something to come back from the administration. And anyway, the counselors were so great. And, and so Carly got really upset. The counselors were really great and, and getting us to, to fix that. And 
Um, so I'm so far this year, I'm really, really pleased with that, but I will probably readdress the 504 <clears throat> after the first quarter. Although the data so far that they're going to have is that she's getting up and going to school and doing what she needs to do. So that's a positive. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's, that's great. And it sounds like you've had a really supportive school system that, you know, isn't trying to fight you or isn't trying to force you to go through the process just to make even some minor, more minor accommodations. So um, I, I think that's great. You've had that. Yeah. They're really, they're really wonderful. And, and the elementary school has been the same way too. He, Russell goes to junior high next year as a seventh grader and I'm a little nervous. <laughs> It's just a different environment. Everybody in middle school it seems like a little, it's a little intense. Yeah. So, so what, um, what advice would you have for, you know, a, a young widow that's a parent and they're trying to be supportive of their kids and maybe their kids are struggling? Um, is there anything else that you feel like as a family you did that was helpful or maybe that you wish you would have done that would help them in their grief while also not neglecting you and your need to grieve. Yeah. I, you know, when I saw the grief therapist, she told me something, she told me a lot of very interesting things about grief, but um, one of the things that she explained, actually, I think it was during my son's appointment and she just explained the the emotions that are, that everybody's going to go through during the grief process. You know, she drew them, she wrote all of them out. I think there are five. Um, and she said, there are going to be days where you guys are going to be really sad and cry, or there's going to be days where you're going to be really mad at each other for no reason. And it's not going to make much sense, but you're just going to lash out and you have to have, um, a lot of forgiveness for each other. And you have to recognize that it's, it's coming from a place of grief and not coming from a place of true anger. And I, so she talked to Russell and I about that and Russell had, had, had some, some pretty upsetting anger moments, um, and I just explained, you know, we just, we just kind of had to go over that and reiterate that to each other that, wow, that was intense. And that wasn't very nice, but that was grief talking, you know, and you just have to give each other a lot of forgiveness for as long as it takes. We still have moments, you know, um, and it's been almost two years, but it's still, it's you give each other a lot of grace and also, you know, lean on your, your neighbors, your family, and your friends, if they're offering to help take it, it's sometimes some people are have too much pride and they don't want to take it or they're just used to doing things on their own or having a lot of control in their lives. But I will say that if someone is offering to help and I'm talking beyond the food train, right? Right. Not, not right after the funeral, but I'm talking like in, you know, when everybody else kind of seems to go back into their homes, if someone else is there to help you take it, take it. Cause being a single parent is not easy. You need somebody else on your emergency care list at the school. You need somebody to, you know, help you when you need medications and your kid is sick and you're by yourself at the house with them. Or if you're at work in a meeting and the kids need to be picked up, you got to have people that can support you and really rally around you to do that. And, um, I, I really think that's the most important thing. Yeah, I, I do too. I think it's really important to have people that are going to be in the trenches with you and they're yep. going to show up and, and be a, a support and, it's great because it sounds like you've had some of those people, um, whether it's your family or some friends as well, that have been that support for you. So yes, I have um, been thank very you. lucky in that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you, Jess, so much for coming and sharing your story and some advice that you have for people that are trying to support their kids through grief. I really appreciate you coming. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the Brave Widow Podcast. 
I would love to help you take your next step, whether that's healing your heart, finding hope, or achieving your dreams for the future. Do you need a safe space to connect with other like-minded widows? Do you wish you had how-tos for getting through the next steps in your journey, organizing your life, or moving through grief? What about live calls where you get answers to your burning questions? The Brave Widow membership community is just what you need. Inside, you'll find courses to help guide you, a community of other widows to connect with, live coaching and Q&A calls, and small group coaching where you can work on what matters most to you. Learn how to heal your heart, find hope, reclaim joy, and dream again for the future. It is possible. Head on over to bravewidow.com to learn more.